Take your Bibles tonight, if you would, and open to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. We had a great afternoon. Looking forward to tonight. I cannot say enough how grateful I am to have the time here at Grace Baptist Church with you. Uh, as I looked around this morning, I realized how entangled our lives and ministries are. Uh, more than just an opportunity to come and be with you here. I think about all the young people I see that I see at camp every summer. And, and uh, you know, Pastor Michael and I are the, the, the two that will kind of head up the camp. And, and uh, so to see you here, faithful, away from camp, that's an encouragement. It's a blessing. And, uh, and then many of you men attend uh, the Baptist History Tour. And so uh, I've, I've met some of your wives for the first time today. I always see the men. I never see the ladies. And so uh, it's good to get to meet the whole family unit. It's good to be here with you. Uh, I am so honored uh, to stand in your pastor's pulpit. Uh, I know you know this. I know it's Pastor Appreciation Month. And I know you love your pastor. So I'm not saying this as a rebuke at all. It's my opinion. It's my comment. Um, you have a pastor that is by far the greatest Bible teacher in the country today. And you may think mm, you're just using hyperbole because, you know, he's controlling your love offering. <laughs> I could care less if he gives me a love offering when I leave here. I would say the same thing. Uh, to you tonight, and you should not overlook what God has given to you here. And so, in the group of men, uh, Brother Dalton effectually calls the Nasty Nine, whatever you want to call the nine of us pastor friends that are very close, uh, Brother Jim leads the way. And uh, I am grateful for the ministry here in Grace. I am appreciative and a beneficiary of the sacrifice that you give, the care that you give, the support that you give to your pastor here so that we can have things like a Baptist, uh, an ancient Baptist journal, uh, so that you can allow him to travel and teach on uh, methods of preaching and be in conferences that I attend and do the things that we do together. I glean much uh, from your pastor. Um, we have known each other. It was astounding to hear him say this morning, but he was right. I thought about it today. We've known each other for nearly 20 years, and that's hard to believe. Uh, and he has been someone that has been a mentor to me, uh, a friend to me. Uh, he has seen me uh, fumble, uh, you know, th some things and uh, still been a support and uh, been a great help to me. And so uh, I am so, so very overwhelmed to be with you today and want to do uh, something tonight that I think I know I'll enjoy. Uh, this is um, a message the Lord has put on my heart to, to kind of dovetail what we did this morning and hopefully be a great encouragement to your everyday Christian life, something that would be practical yet uh, expository from the scripture. And so we're going to try to do that tonight. If you would, please stand along with me, uh, stretch your legs, and uh, um, we'll uh, give honor to the reading of the Word of God. Second uh, Peter chapter 1. We're going to begin reading in verse 1. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us, through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, 
through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins, wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we ask your help tonight as we've gathered again in the meeting house this evening. I pray that your will be done and that you would encourage the hearts of the servants that are with us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. We said this morning that if you're going to be a witness for Christ, you're going to have to be a credible witness. And all of us feel as if at times we fail to be what we should be for Christ. It should never be assumed that any of us are perfect. That's not possible. But it should be assumed that all of us are striving to be the best that we can. There's the standard in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that standard, we are striving every day to improve from where we were before. Not improve to the person sitting next to you. The Bible warns us against comparing ourselves among ourselves. Our standard should be Christ. If you're thinking, well, I'm better than brother so-and-so, then you've done yourself a great disservice by comparing yourselves among yourselves. You'll always find someone who's better than you. You'll always find someone who's worse than you. But with Christ, it's always the ultimate standard. And so Peter begins to, by God's help, pen this epistle And it's a general epistle. And he's writing it in verse 1, to them that have obtained like precious faith. Are you saved tonight? This is a general epistle that you can benefit from. You have a like precious faith. Verse 2 says, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord, according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life. By divine power, God has given to us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Life is our everyday life things. You say, I I wish I knew how to be a better parent. God's given to us in His divine power, through the Scripture, the ability to know how to be a better parent. Be a better worker. Be a better employee, a better employer. Master, servant, It's in there. You have to dig it out. You have to be a workman that he is not to be ashamed. God's given us through His divine power all things that pertain unto life and unto godliness. The things that help us to live every day and the things that allow us to to live in a way that we can be better spiritually. Life and godliness. 
He goes on to say, through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Glory and virtue. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. God's given us so many wonderful, wonderful promises. But when we think about this idea of being a credible witness for Christ, we have to realize that this is not going to happen by osmosis. We can't take our Bibles at night and lay them under our pillow and be more spiritual when we wake up. We're going to have to do some things. We're going to have to work. We're going to have to make an effort at it. And it gives us a promise in this passage that if we'll do these things that the Scripture teaches us and instructs us in this passage, then we'll never fall. Look at it. The great and precious promises. Look at verse 8. For if these things be in you and abound, which means you're going to have to work at them. They're going to have to be better tomorrow than they are today. You're going to have to give more effort to them. If these things be in you, Ye shall neither neither be barren, that's the inability to be able to bear fruit, which we know fruit in the Scripture represents souls, represents spiritual growth, represents the the, uh, uh, fruit that comes from discipleship, all of the things that come with that, nor barren nor unfruitful. So when you think of a fruit tree, you think of a barren tree, they hewn those down, and then you think of an unfruitful tree that just simply did not yield fruit This particular year, maybe it's a season. Maybe you're going through a season where you've seen some unfruitfulness. Maybe you can learn some things from tonight that you're responsible to be doing in a proactive manner that will help us to fulfill the promise. We still haven't even got there yet. Look at what he says in verse 9. Actually, verse 10. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. It doesn't say you might not fall. It doesn't say there's a good chance you wouldn't fall. It says ye shall never fall. That's a promise. And it comes with a stipulation. If ye do these things. If you put forth the effort. You say, what do you mean by fall? How many of you have ever fallen on the ice or the snow? Or you've just simply fallen? It's embarrassing, right? Even if no one's watching, you're embarrassed. I got, I, I, I you, many of you know that I, I planted a church in Iowa, pastored there six years. First year, first winter I'm there, for, it's, it's deer season, right? And I'm so excited to get into the woods. It's shotgun season, I'm ready to use my muzzle loader, and uh, they forecast an ice storm. My wife said, Jody said, I I don't think you should probably go out. It looks like it's going to be dangerous. I said, there's not going to be anything keeping me from opening morning. I'm going. So we go to bed, get up the next morning. Sure enough, like three quarters of an inch of ice everywhere. Everything's shut down. No one's going to work. No one's doing anything. I plow snow uh, with with the work that I did. I plowed snow. I had a lot of accounts. They were even telling us not to come in because it was so dangerous. And I thought, well, then I'm going hunting. So I put on all my clothes in the mudroom and I go flying out the back door and we got this porch that goes down to the barn and I hit the porch and as soon as I did, it was like a cartoon. My feet just started scrambling for a grip. I went straight on my back. The momentum of me going out the door carried me down the steps and I didn't stop until I got to the barn, which was like 50 foot from the back porch. And I'm just laying there on my back looking straight up into the sky thinking, that was stupid. (laughs) 
And then I thought, maybe Jody was right. And then I thought, no, I can't tell her that. So, so I go back into the house and get undressed and go upstairs. She said, what's wrong? I said, mm, probably looks a little bad out there. I'm thinking maybe I shouldn't go. <laughs> Took me a couple of days to tell her what happened. And then she laughed till she cried and mocked me. So it's one thing to fall. How many of you in here enjoy sports or an athlete or you're a coach and you understand that falling and getting knocked down is two different things? If you're working at it and you're putting forth effort and you get knocked down, you just jump back up and get back in the fight. There's no pride to be hurt when you've been knocked down from trying. But when you fall, it's embarrassing, right? It's hard to recover from that. The promise to us tonight is that if we'll do these things, we'll never fall. And it's not in reference to us physically falling. It's in reference to us spiritually falling. I heard a preacher say one time, uh, he used the phrase a spiritual body bag. And there's way too many witnesses for Christ in spiritual body bags today because they fell because they didn't do these things. And these things are not hard. We just have to do them. It takes, takes a little effort. And so uh, the chairs are here. I, I joked with Pastor Nathan and said, we're going we're gonna to exercise church, church discipline tonight. That's why your pastor brought me here. But that's not really what we're doing. Okay, so, But I'm going to use this as a physical example of the things that we're going to do a little math tonight. So uh, if you hate math, I apologize. But we're going to do simple addition. Right? So it's real simple. Look, with things, God always makes things where we can reach them. He always makes things where we can do it. And if any of us can add one and one, then what we can do tonight is possible. If we can take one thing and add another, it's simple addition. But it's going to have to be practiced. And the promises are great. I know, I don't know about you, but I'd rather never fall. And so there's this process is something that is approachable, it's doable. Look what he says in verse 4, "...whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust." And beside this, beside the fact that we're saved and we've escaped corruption, that would be enough. But God said, beside this, giving all diligence... And see, I said it would be work. So you're going to have to give some diligence to these things. You're going to have to make sure you're consistent and you stay on top of them. You're going to add unto your faith. Judd, you knew this was coming. Help me. Okay. Judd represents faith. Now let me give you the only disclaimer you're going to get in the message tonight. Never in anything that I say tonight will I assume or should you assume that I am relating to your eternal security and your salvation to Christ. Amen. He is writing to those of like precious faith, meaning they, he's writing to saved folks, folks that know the Lord. He's not writing to lost folks here. So he's already The foundation is already set. Your faith is what we're adding unto. And what we do most often is we have enough faith or we exercise enough faith. We muster enough faith to get saved. And then we we check at the coat room, the faith. And then we try to live the rest of our lives without any faith. When the Bible is clear that we're to add unto our faith. 
We're, we're, we're going to make simple additions. So none of this is assuming that you're lost. All of this is assuming you're saved and you want to serve the Lord. And you don't want to fall. You want to stay on your feet, spiritually speaking. And so look what he says. First thing he says is, add unto your faith virtue. This young man right here in the Nike hoodie, will you help me? Will you come sit next to Judd? If you guys will pass, if I call on you and you think if I stand up, I'm passing out, just let me know that and I won't embarrass you, okay? <laughs> Brother Jim will. So the scripture says we're supposed to take our faith, our salvation, the very foundation, and add to it virtue. What does that mean? Simply, it means that we're willing to be used of God. Lots of people are satisfied just to be at salvation. Just to be saved. Glad I'm saved. Glad I'm going to heaven. It's, that's about where my train stops. I'm going to get off at the next stop. But right here, adding unto our faith virtue says, God, I'll do anything you want of me. We think of virtue and we think of the virtuous woman in Proverbs. And, uh, but it's possible for all of us to be virtuous if we just simply will be willing to give ourselves over to the Lord. But that scares us. Because if we think if we add virtue to what our faith already knows, then God's going to say, I want you to go to Africa. Now, first of all, why is Africa the worst possible thing that could happen? Right? Poor, poor Africa, right? So, we, yeah, could be Alabama. You're exactly right. Of course, if you went there, you'd be a winner. All right? <laughs> I just ruined the whole spirit of the service. Actually, your pastor did. He's the one that brought it up. So you add unto your faith virtue. And in this, this, this addition, this step, it's the first step. Now, how many of you know God's a God of order? So you can't add to your faith what's going to happen down there until you've worked on adding some things here. It's not multiplication. We're not trying to get to, we're not shortcutting things here, right? We're, we're going to do simple addition, one to another, to another, to another. So virtue says, God, you can have all of me. I'll give you everything that I am. I want to be used of you. That's what a virtuous person will do. Look what the passage says next. And I'm taking these out of verse 5, 6, 7. It says, add unto your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. This young man right here. Why don't you come help me, please? He's going to represent our knowledge. Now we know the scripture says no. <laughs> hey, I, 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 it just is what it is. So the scripture says that knowledge puffeth up. But you know why it says not. Now listen, how many of you know knowledge is not a bad thing? Knowledge puffeth up when there's no release. When there's no use of what you know. And so as you learn the Scriptures, you release that through discipleship. You release that through the Great Commission. How many of you know the Great Commission is teaching all nations and baptizing them? It doesn't say preaching. It says teaching. Why? Because all of us can teach. Your discipleship program with your pastor, that's an opportunity to teach. What you're doing is teaching. What are you teaching? Well, verse 20 tells us in the Great Commission, all things that pertaineth to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you're teaching all nations, which nations doesn't represent a place. You understand you don't go to Africa to preach to the ground. You go to Africa to teach people. So nations is meant to represent people. So the, the Great Commission is we teach 
to all people, all things that pertain unto the knowledge of, of Christ. And so what we do is we take our faith and add unto it virtue, which says, God, you can have me. I'll do anything you want me to do. And from there, we begin to add knowledge to what we don't know. We do that through the reading of the Scriptures, going through discipleship, being in the services and under the preaching. You'll begin to add knowledge every day to what you know about Christ. And this will be important, vitally important. Because as you look at the next thing in your passage, it says, add unto your knowledge, what does it say there in your Bibles? Temperance. Right here, even though you're wearing an Ohio State hoodie. <laughs> right here. So we have faith, temperance, knowledge, or excuse me, virtue, knowledge, temperance. You say, what is temperance? It's the ability to take what you know and put it to practice. Tempering yourself. Now, we're not Puritans. And again, it has nothing to do with your salvation. We're not saying in order to keep your faith, you have to live a pure life or it's all for naught. That's not what we're saying. That's not what the Scripture is saying. The Scripture is saying you take your faith and you say to the Lord, I want to be virtuous, I want to be yours, I want to be used of you, I want to be a credible witness, and if I'm going to do that, then I'm going to have to learn some things. Everyone thinks they have to wait to tell the Lord, I'll do what you want me to do because we should know some things. You're going to think you have to be Pastor Jim in order to say, I'll be used of you. And you don't have to be Pastor Jim. And everybody say amen. Amen. <laughs> You don't have to be Pastor Jim. You don't have to know what he knows. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to have a Bible college degree. You have to be able to say, Lord, listen, the second addition to your faith was not knowing all of the Bible. That comes next. This place says, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And when that happens and you truly give your heart over to Christ the knowledge starts coming a lot easier and a lot faster. And you'll know more about Christ a year from now than you, thought, than, you, than you ever thought you could know. But what happens when you begin to know some things, then you have to start making a few changes. You have to start tweaking a few things that you're doing. And so temperance allows for that. Temperance says, okay, you know what? The Bible says I should not lie, so I'm not going to lie. That's temperance. The knowledge that you learned about not lying causes us to live a life that says, I'll not do that. I'll temper myself. Where my flesh wants to lie, my spirit knows through temperance and what I've learned through the Scripture, because I told Christ I would serve Him, because I'm saved, I'm not going to do that anymore. Amen? Amen? So then we add unto temperance, the next thing is the word nobody wants to know. Amen? What does your Bible say? Patience. Patience. Right up here. You say, why is that so important? Everybody says, well, I, I, you know, pray for me. I need some patience. Nobody wants the work that patience brings. <laughs> if somebody says, pray for me that I gain some patience, it's hard to know what to pray for because you need to look out. It's not going to be easy. Learning patience is not going to be easy. But what happens is we get saved and many of us are just glad to be here so we never add any of this. We just stay right here. 
Now, the challenge is we want to we go forward for Christ, right? We want to know more than we've ever known. We sing those songs, I want to know more about my Jesus. Do we? I mean, if we want to get to knowledge, we have to start adding some things. We can't just sit here. Here is as close to sin as you can be because you're a new creature, but you're still close to the world because you're just a baby Christian, right? And so to say, Lord, you can have all of me. I'll do what you want me to do is a great step forward. This is things where baptism starts. Virtue is where making decisions to say, Lord, I'll I'll step out, I'll be obedient, I'll get baptized, I'll join the church, I'll become a member, I'll make myself accountable. That's all of what happens right here in the first step. And then we begin to learn some things, and we begin to learn through discipleship and discipling others some things, and then we begin to temper ourselves, and then patience comes in, and it's very important. And it's important because how many of you, and, 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 and I may be the only one in the room, I don't learn things the first time. Amen? So when I learn something from the Scripture and try to put to practice what I've learned and temper myself, then what happens is I need patience because I'm not always going to know that lesson. I'll find that I've told a lie and I shouldn't have. So patience says, I'm learning. That was a, that was a situation right there where I could learn to do better the next time and temper myself in a better way that will allow me to continue to have patience. Because what happens is we want, well, let me add the next one and then we'll talk about that. The next one says you add unto your patience godliness. Is that right? You add unto your patience godliness. Young man, if you'll come right here. Godliness. Now here's what happens. We get saved in the local church. And we're all guilty of this. We'll take a Bible and we'll chunk it at the guy and we'll say, good luck. Hope you figure it out. You're saved. You're a new creature. You got a Bible. Start coming to church and, you know, and we're just waiting for the first time he messes up to go, yeah, that probably didn't take. That's a terrible thought. That's a terrible way to think. Have we helped encourage him to be these things and add unto his faith? Because what we expect is for him to go from saved to godly. But look at all the things that had to happen. And this is not the end, right? There's still two chairs out here. There's still some things on your list. To be godly is not the end all. This is not where we finish the race at. This is one of the things we're adding to and striving for. But we become... You understand, godly is not a dead end, meaning that we we arrive and there's no other destination for us. So we learn, temper, and have patience, say in the area of lying, that when we get that licked, when we start to learn what we should not do or what we should do from the Scriptures, that makes us more godly than we were yesterday. So we learn, we temper, we have patience... And we become a little more godly. And then tomorrow we learn something else. We start to temper ourselves. We have patience in that. And we become a little more godly. So it's a little bit of a cycle, but you're constantly adding. You're constantly adding. You're constantly learning. You're constantly going through so that we can get to this place. And you don't go from saved to godly overnight and then that's it. But that's how we handle folks. 
we say, well, yep, they should have been more godly. Yeah, I knew that was coming. But we didn't encourage them to do any of those other things. Now, look what the next thing on your list is. It's brotherly kindness. Will you help, Aiden? Thank you. So we add brotherly kindness. Now, here's what we say today in churches. We find churches that are in division. We find churches that are splitting. We find churches that can't get along. And we think, well, why is there an absence of brotherly kindness? I mean, there are are a bunch of safe folks. Why can't they be kind to one another? They can't be kind to one another because we haven't done any of these things in our own lives. We need to be at a place where we've given our lives over to Christ and then begin to learn, temper, and have patience so that we can become more godly than we were yesterday. I don't. I, maybe you've arrived. Maybe you've learned everything the Scripture has to teach. Please tell me because I have a few things I need to learn from you. Because I'm not here all of the time. Am I godlier than I was 20 years ago? Yes. But I'm not the example. Christ is. So I'm not as godly as I could be. See how that works? So here, we, we begin to understand that brotherly kindness is a way that shows compassion and love for the brethren in spite of what we see in their lives or know about them. And that starts to bring real unity in the church. Because then I can say, instead of looking down my nose at Brother Jim and saying, which is obvious because he's much shorter than I am. That's how that would work. But, but because instead of me looking down at him and saying, yeah, well, you should have known that, Brother Jim, and that's terrible that you did that. And man, I, I just say, don't do that again. When, when brotherly kindness should say, man, I do love you. And I, let me ask you a question. Have, have you ever given yourself... I know, you, I know you're saved, but have you, are, have you been willing to follow the Scriptures in obedience? Are you learning anything? And when you do learn something, what are you doing with that? It makes us accountable to one another. and We don't like that. I know our flesh does not like that. But I promise you, our spirits need that. We need to be accountable to one another and we need to know that unity is going to come from brotherly kindness, but it's hard to be kind to a brother when all we are are safe folks who don't know anything. It's just hard because we're still so close to the world. Our flesh has more control of us. This earthen vessel has more control of us than our spirits do because we haven't been willing at virtue to go forward. We haven't said, now listen, the, the, I know you're thinking the danger is if I, if I take the first step of virtue, God's for sure going to call me to be a missionary and I don't want to be a missionary. Listen, that is not how that works. Amen. That is not how that works. Now, maybe one day He will and maybe you shouldn't be so scared of it. But if you would step out and begin to learn some things, maybe that road doesn't seem so scary five years from now Amen. or ten years from now. And then you can begin to hug each other's necks down there at brotherly kindness because you understand that it was a lot of patience and temperance to add to the things that you were learning. And all of a sudden, they don't seem like horrible Christians. They just seem like Christians that are struggling and need you to support them and encourage them and help them. But we just think, okay, they're saved, so they ought to be godly and they ought to be kind to one another. But they've missed this boat right in here. Now, the last step is this. We get, uh, I ran out of young men. 
Tucker, where are you at? Come up here, Tucker. You're the only other name I know in the room, all right? This is my other boy, Tucker. If he did anything, don't tell me, all right? <laughs> we got a long ride home tomorrow, and I don't want to have to kill him all the way home. All right. The last thing on your list is charity. Now, here's the, here's the representation of what we're supposed to do. Now, remember, here's the thing. Here's the promise. If you do these things, you shall never fall. It doesn't say if you did these things. It says if you do these things, which is a constant. Amen. Right? You, you, there's never an arrival. Now, surely the foundation is salvation. That does You're not doing that over and over. But again, it's adding unto your faith. That's the foundation. So that doesn't change. The foundation never changes. You take faith and you add unto it. And you do these things so that you never fall. And here's why, right? If you're, um, whether you play sports, maybe you're a, picture, a, a pitcher in sports or, or you're a coach teaching someone to pitch. I caught for years. I was a catcher, loved it. And I heard coaches say over and over and over to the kids on the mound, you have to look at his glove. You have to look at his glove. You have to look at his glove. Why? Because if you're going to try to pitch from the mound and you're looking at the batter's head, guess where the ball's going to go? At the batter's head. And you know what happens in our spiritual lives when we're saved? And listen, look, go back to your passage. Look what he says in verse 9. But if you lack these things, but he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten he was purged from his old sins. So someone who's just satisfied at salvation will soon forget they've been purged from their sins and have no ability to see afar off because they're not willing to do the first step. And so if you're looking at the pitcher's head, that's where the ball's going to go. If you're saved and you're not looking to grow, you're going to be exactly that. If you, if, you, if you aim at nothing, you're bound to hit it. These are the things that the Scripture has lined out. Look again, all right? So verse 5 says, And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. I'm going to come back to charity. For if these things be in you. Now verse 8 says, in you. Which means you've got to want them to be in you. That's a, that's a decision you must make. And they abound, which means you're regularly working on them. They make you that ye shall neither, neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then we talked about what happens if we lack these things. We, it's as if we're blind and cannot see afar off. But verse 10 says, Wherefore the rather, brethren, Give diligence, there's that word again, still going to take work, to make your calling and election sure, for if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. And again, we talked about Christ being the ultimate example. You want to know what the ultimate example is? It's verse 11. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly in the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The foundation was what? Salvation, faith. The Bible says that Christ 
will usher in an entrance for us in abundance to the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that's a promise that He's going to see through to the end. And much like He is going to see through His promise, we see through these things so that it ultimately brings us to charity. Now, we think of charity as something unattainable, something similar to uh, a Christ-likeness. But that's exactly what charity brings when you've done these things. We're called Christians, right? Like Christ. Charity is an example of that. That's why it's above all things. To be Christ-like is to be extremely charitable in the Scripture definition of charity. You won't just give money because you have to. You won't just give of your time because you have to. You won't give uh, your grace gift because you have to. All of a sudden, learning all of these things creates an entire body of believers at a local church that is operating in a form of charity that makes this church look very like Christ. Because now we're exercising brotherly kindness in a way that instead of going, yeah, that's probably, I figured that's probably what would happen to him. Or, yeah, I knew he was going to do that. We're broken now. And charity helps us to exercise and come alongside and put our arm on them and tell them we love them and that we're here to help them if they need anything. And godliness looks very different. Right? It's not something you obtain once and you just have and you wear like a robe. That's not how it works. Godliness is something we obtain regularly and striving for regularly because until we're like Christ exactly, we still have some work to do. And so we'll never be Christ, but we're striving to be Christ-like, which brings us to charity. And so the great promise in this passage is that if you do these things, you shall never fall. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to fall. And so I'm going to begin to add some things that look very different than the things I add on to every day. And you're not going to get that from being outside of the Scriptures. You're not going to get that from being away from church services. You're not going to get that from just a nonchalant um, uh, attitude towards the things of Christ and the church. You cannot audit the Christian life. You're going to have to put forth some effort. You're going to have to add knowledge. You're going to have to temper yourself. Again, not for the sake of salvation. That's already secured. That's down here. But it doesn't negate the fact that we should control ourselves in some ways. You understand temperance is just the ability to be able to control your flesh. And while we're learning to to control this earthen vessel we're imprisoned in, we have patience through that effort. And not just towards our own selves, which would be a great monumental achievement, but towards those of others as well. We're learning, and we, we're, we're quick. When we learn, we want to judge everybody else. Well, I know what the Scripture says, and you should be doing this because the Scripture says it. Well, guess what? They never learned it. And that's where the teaching comes in. So we're teaching all things to all nations. That's our responsibility. It never stops. We teach them Christ and their need for salvation in the gospel, but teaching all things doesn't stop at salvation. So we teach them to be temperate and knowledgeable, and, or excuse me, virtuous, knowledgeable, temperate, patient, godly. I cannot strive enough to you, uh, 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 stress enough to you, excuse me, that this is not a dead-end destination. Godliness is not a one-time arrival. We're working on it. 
We're striving for it. Brotherly kindness is a very different way to look at one another. When we're, when we're all working to be better, it's hard to complain. When you're looking towards the end and working toward it, there's not a lot of backbiting going on. There's not a lot of whispering going on because we're all trying to get to a better place. That's what your pastor's discipleship program does for us. When you're all learning and striving and teaching and going to the next person, it's hard to be mad at them when you know they're just trying to learn. Never mad at a guy who's trying to learn. I'm mad at a guy who gets saved and satisfied in salvation and is unwilling, or as the scripture would say, a willful ignorance to know anything about Christ going forward. That's frustrating. But when you step out and say, Lord, I'll be yours. I'll do everything you want me to do. Then it's going to start. Then the work starts. You get, you, you get baptized. You join the church through baptism. You begin to disciple or be discipled. Then you begin to disciple yourself. Then you sit under the preaching. You read your Bible every day. You pray. And all of a sudden, you're learning things that you never knew before. And it's going to put you in a place where you can serve Christ in a much different way than if you had just stayed down there. You know why most churches have struggle at brotherly kindness and charity? Because they're just a bunch of babies. And I don't mean that to be ugly. I'm just being honest. They're a bunch of safe folks. No one on there on their way to heaven. And I'm thankful for that. But they've never taken another step. Anybody ever keep the nursery? Put a few babies on the floor and let them go and see what happens in about 10 minutes. You put, put five babies on the floor and one rattle in the middle and tell me how that's going to go. <laughs> it's just what babies do. But we don't have to stay down there. We don't have to stay immature Christians. Amen. We strive for charity, a Christ-likeness that says we love what the Lord's doing in our own lives and we want to teach others what He's doing as well. Lord, we thank You to be here this evening. We thank You for the opportunity that we've had.